Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to a special episode of In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we are back for today from a short hiatus. Um, in the meantime, while we've been gone, I've gone ahead and opened up Fausto, a restaurant in that is brand new to Park Slope, Brooklyn. Um, and at Fausto, we pair fresh pastas and wood-fired proteins with a mostly Italian wine list and a great list of a pair of TV and DJ's TV, a bunch of great Amaros. Um, and that is why I am so excited to have our guest here today in studio with us for this special show. We have in studio Brad Thomas Parsons. He is a writer. Um, he has authored a couple of books, including Bitters, which is a winner of the James Beard Award and the IACP Cookbook Awards. Amaro, which I believe deserves to win all of those awards and more. I really love Amaro. And also Distillery Cats, which I haven't read, but uh, Caitlin Harrison, who's the service director at uh, Fausto, really loves this book and tells me about how great it is. Uh, so I've only heard good things. Um, so I'm really excited to have Brad in the studio with us today. Welcome to In the Drink. Thanks, Joe. It's great. It's really exciting to be here. I'm glad you broke your hiatus for me. To, <laughs> yeah, to we're, it's out. our first show of, of 2018. Um, uh, I'm still really busy with Fausto. It's been going. It's been going really well. Um, yeah, congratulations on that. I had a chance to come to a preview of it, but I haven't been in for a proper uh, dinner or drink yet. But I'm going to remedy that soon. I, I'd love to have you. You're, you're a Brooklyn. Uh, you live in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, yeah I'm so in uh, Carroll Gardens. Okay, not so, too far. Not away. too far. No, and uh, and um, it's a beautiful space, and and the food I tasted and the drinks look great, and uh, I'm excited to spend some time there. Thank you so much. It's real. It's great to hear you say that. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been going well. Um, like I said, the wine list is uh, about half Italian, and then we have um, California French wines. Uh, I'm trying to make sure that the wine list is a really good value, and it's mm-hmm. um, every one of those bottles on the list are, are things that uh, I would personally spend my own money and gladly drink. And you know, and so uh, it's a really personal wine list to me. A beautiful design from Home Studios, uh, Greenpoint based uh, design. And, uh, and we've been, I've been really surprised to see and pleasantly surprised to see how much Amaro people are drinking. And I really want to talk about Amaro with you, uh, especially because we've been focusing on getting some of these really cool old Amari from, uh, uh, from Alex at Soul Agent and uh, a couple other sources yeah, I, I know you're friends with. Yeah. yeah, I saw you've been, you've been uh, posting your, when new ones joined the list, and I was curious how are, are people asking for those or are you kind of more um bringing those around now to introduce people to them or how are people receiving the vintage amari at fausto it's been really cool i think that it shows you the power of social media uh people see them on instagram and they come in like we want some some of that Mm -hmm. vintage amaro because on our list we write uh vintage amaro available 
on request. I like that. And um, I'm doing one ounce pours for fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a an acceptable entry point. That's, oh, no matter what, no uh, matter what it is. That's a great. So I I don't yeah. think I'm, I'm never going to go you know rich or broke you know <laughs> selling vintage tomorrow. It's like that's not going to be yeah. that significant a portion of what we do. So I want people who are interested to try it to be able to do it and for it to not be that big of a hit. No, that's amazing. That's probably I mean the Four Horsemen in Williamsburg. Um, they've brought in some recently, and they had f- pretty fair prices. But I think I, I know in Chicago once I bought two vintage Ramazzotti shots or pours, and it was around one hundred fifty dollars or something. Oh. And so it was almost more than the dinner. So it's sort of so we have seen some exaggerated uh, anywhere. I think anywhere from you know fifteen to fifty, depending what you're drinking. Fifty's pretty much but and and but you mentioned alex bachman of soul agent so alex uh opened and was an original partner and still is of billy sunday uh, bar in chicago which has one of the biggest amari selections in the country and through his years of research and connections in italy he's been brokeraging and bringing in a lot of bottles so now he has this company soul agent which is just over a year old now i think or, or a little more and um, working with people like yourselves and, and getting vintage spirits, mo- a lot of Amari, but other spirits as well, to bars and restaurants across the country. And he's going to open a retail shop soon in Chicago. That's very which cool. Which should be fun. But yeah, he's he's a, a wealth of knowledge on the topic and, and uh, a good friend of mine. So I'm excited to see his his influence traveling across the country. That That's really cool. And he's been a great resource. And, and there there are some others as well. Um, but I want to talk yes. a little bit about how, how things have sort of have changed. You know, when I opened Del Anima in 2007, I made it a point to buy every every Amaro <laughs> that was available on the market. Which is like always. four of them. Which is right? like four. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually maybe got to six or eight. Mm-hmm. And that felt like it was just a, a huge yeah. amount. And people weren't interested. I felt like the only way to get people to drink them was to give them away to, you know, to guests who are regulars or friends or industry or something. Um, And now things have changed greatly. People come into the restaurant and ask for Amaro, people who aren't in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I would think a big part of it is your great book. Um, I think that's really brought a lot of uh, notice to it. Um, But what got you interested in Amaro to begin with, and how have you seen things change over the years? Yeah, well, to answer the second part first, um, I've talked about this before and a little bit, but um, trends, you know, I hate to say like bitters and Amaro are trends because they're essential historical parts of drinking culture. But they really do start with bartenders. They're the they're the front line of 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 protecting the spirits, helping people know about them, educating people, influencing people, and then that trickles down to the media and influencers, and then eventually the general public. And that can be anywhere from a year to several years. And with my first book, Bitters, the book came out right when that was happening, where. Suddenly, it wasn't just Angostura and Peychaud's. There were newer bitters available, and people were using them, and customers were seeing them at the bars and picking them up and using them. And Amaro came out uh, 2016 in the fall, and at that point, same thing you you had mentioned earlier was happening, where more bottles were becoming available, newer imports, but it really started with those bartenders um, drinking Fernet Branca shots, uh, which became known as the bartender's handshake. It was a way of uh, hospitality, welcoming fellow travelers to and from bars. If you ordered that, people knew you were in the industry. And I think the co- on the cocktail, the biggest thing I've seen with Amaro, when I was researching the book in Italy, 
a lot of the producers and bartenders were like, why? Why are you doing this? You know, this is our grandparents' drink. No one really, it's not that exciting. But in the States, especially, bartenders were leading the charge using Amaro beyond a digestivo in cocktails. So um, while the Negroni is a historical cocktail, the States, we were a little late to adopting that as one of the best drinks ever. <laughs> and it's sort of a way, you know, it's it's cosmoto- cosmopolitan, represents a little Dolce Vita, it, and it's a drink that's truly bitter. So you get a lot of times, when you first thing you say Amaro, uh, what is it? Oh, it's a bittersweet. Oh, I don't like bitter. So you have people don't like bitter. And it used to be a dirty word, bitter. Yeah, I don't think it is as much now I, anymore. But right? I still think, I think, I, I totally agree with you, but I, I found in my travels, a lot of times, we because we're in the industry, or we write about it, we cover it, we're sort of the one percenters where there's a lot of people out there, like if we lined up random people even here outside the studio or Roberta's maybe it's a little skewed here because we're in Brooklyn but you know seven out of ten people might not know what a morrow is and 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 I've shadowed uh there's an, a local a domestic Amaro maker in DC uh, Francesco Amodeo from Don Ciccio e Fili and I shadowed him at a liquor store tasting and went to the the DuPont Circle Farmer's Market and just that learning curve with every person that walks up, you know, what is it? And then you say bitter and they walk away or mm-hmm. they try his limoncello, his liqueurs, his, his, his aperitivo, his, his amaros. Um, it's just a hurdle. So, so when I was writing the book, I was questioned a lot with this craft distilling boom in America, where's our domestic amaro? Um, that question has been answered now. We're seeing more and more of it. But the biggest thing was learning curve of it's not going to make any money with people like a bourbon or a gin or a vodka. Um, it, it lasts a while. Um, we're not Italian. They have quite a head start on us in mm-hmm. terms of their palate and, and how to make it and years of studying infusions and macerations, um, you know, decades of it. But so, so I got into it. Um, it seemed a natural progression from my first book bitters, which was about cocktail bitters, non-potable bitters like Angostura uh, they're more flavoring agents, not meant to be consumed on their own, but used in dashes or drops as a flavoring agent. When I wrote the book, um, this was I wrote it in like 2008, 2009, I think. No, yeah, 2009, I wrote most of it. Um, Amaro was around. Like I was drinking Fernet Branca. I knew what Campari was. I was dipping into Averna and Zucca and Ramazzotti and some, some other ones. I was living in Seattle at the time, which had a... A good, great cocktail scene. Um, So I had access to a lot of these and was learning about them. And some of the drinks in the book feature tomorrow, but it would have been too big a book to tackle both topics. Mm -hmm. And and when I finished Bitters, before it came out, my agent at the time said, so what's next? And I said, oh, I want to write a book on tomorrow. And this was like 2011, early 2011. And he was like, please, you know, like no one knows what bitters is, let alone Amaro. Let's, you know, don't go more obscure. <laughs> yeah, or, pump yeah. the pump the brakes. And and uh and bitters was a bit of a success and kept me busy for a few years. And but the whole time I was I went down that rabbit hole of learning as much as I could about Amaro. And when I finally came up for air, I'm like, wow, it's almost been, you know, three years now. I need to write another book. So there was a five year gap between the books. Um and a lot of that was because of just keeping busy with bitters and educating about bitters. But the word I used to unite the two books is demystify. So these were both topics that had didn't have a lot of um, written material out there about them. Um, uh, esoteric. Uh, Amaro especially, you're dealing with proprietary recipes for the most part, passed down generation to generation. No government oversight or regulation or rules on what makes an Amaro an Amaro 
what makes an Alpine Amaro an Alpine Amaro, what makes a Fernet a Fernet. So I had to do a lot of like what genre writers would say, like world building, where I had to say, like, you know, is Campari an Amaro? Is Italians say no, but I put it in that umbrella, but it's an aperitivo, uh, which is bitter. So it was all about, for me, it was like bittersweet, herbal, liqueur, meant fair game. So not just Italy. Like I do talk about um, Germany and Underberg and other countries like Mary Picon in France and you know, Amaro being made in the States now, but it is sort of a love letter to Italy, the birthplace of it, but it's about the spirits intended as digestivos that are now be taken, but through my distinctly American point of view. It's funny you bring it up. Actually, a, a guest asked me the other night, and this must have been based on something she read from you, um, is Campari an Amaro or not, in, in my opinion? You say no or and well, I said no. I said because uh, the way it's used, it's mm-hmm. used as an aperitivo more often, and um, because of the beautiful red color, which is not traditionally associated mm-hmm. with Amaro. So maybe you can help me to get a better. Well, no, uh, it's true. You're, you're the expert on this. Well, so. I was told every other Italian producer and bartender adamantly told me, no, 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 no. It's not an Amaro. It's a bitter. But, but Amaro means bitter, so it's a, you're getting this kind of... So you, you lay out, in uh, the, the first time that I ever saw this, the idea of a potable bitter versus non-potable bitter. And um, uh, would you, so the, the non-potable bitter, meaning they're the, the bittering agents used in cocktails, potable bitter, bitters that you're drinking you, in, in its own, right? Yeah, it's, non-potable is not to be consumed, and potable is to be consumed. Um, a big difference between like Angostura, uh, it's higher, it's higher proof. It's like going to be 45% around that. It isn't watered down. It isn't sweetened. Um, we, the Amaro producers make Amaro, um, palatable, palatable by, uh, adding water. But and then sugar how and, do you define so, the difference between the aperitivo that's based yeah. on a bitter, like Amaro, even Aperol is bittering agents in Chinar, mm-hmm. right? Versus the, the digestivo or the amaro that is also based on it's bitter, yes. sweet, and so I would say, like in the book, I talk about uh, my sort of I hate to use the word rules, but essentially, I couldn't write a book called Amaro without talking about Campari because because you know Campari is one of the most famous bitter liqueurs out there. Um, you are absolutely right that Campari and a lot of its you know red hued cousins like uh, Capaletti and Aperol. Um, orange hued are aperitivos. They're consumed before dinner, uh, before a meal to open the appetite, while an amaro traditionally is to aid digestion. The reality is a lot of those are using the same bittering agents, as you said, like gentian or, mm-hmm. or uh, chinchona bark or, or quassia. Um, all sorts of things like that come into play. But so, so amaro is about the act of when you drink it too, which is the end of the meal. But if we just put that firm rule in there, um, and said, okay, all the red ones are only at dinner, or before dinner. I think the thing about the Campari and its, its kin, too, is they're traditionally not consumed on their own. Usually soda is added or another spirit, like vermouth, um, soda water, uh, Prosecco, or, or sparkling wine. Um, they're used in cocktails, but they're rarely consumed on their own. So uh, to mention Francesco again, uh, he, in his very romantic Amalfi Coast way, said, you know, let the color of the bottle... Uh, cue you to when to drink it, you know, bright in the evening, red in the evening, um, at sunset, darker at night. That being said, though, you mentioned Chinar. Chinar is very low ABV. It's like 16.5%. That's considered an aperitivo. I mean, they, it, it, but it's also 
perfectly fine at the end of dinner neat. Uh, Maro Nonino, another one of my favorites. Uh, a little hotter, I think that's 36% ABV, mm-hmm. but sweet, has a tamarind orange kind of taste to it. Perfectly fine with a little ice cube and an orange peel before dinner or after. So some of these lighter ones, I think, are versatile and can travel. So a long-winded answer, but I think I I call a Campari an aperitivo bitter, but I put it under the umbrella of Amaro because I like when I talk about Amaro mm-hmm. um, and do classes or, or or talks, that's where we start. Like that's go from there, then to light, then to medium, then different styles of bitters. And I should say, you know, even as I answered her that, I thought about how the cocktail I would prefer before a meal versus the one after a meal. Yeah. And the Negroni isn't my before a meal no, drink. Always. Absolutely it's, not. It's, it's very it's, strong. It's too spiritist. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I've had plenty before dinner. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <In> Boulevardiers <laughs> too. But, but yeah, traditionally a Campari and soda or an Americano. Or Spagliato. Spagliato, one of my so favorites. Yeah. Is, is much more uh, technically appropriate there. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think, um, I think if you call it an aperitivo, but I think there is that confusion of, you know, they call them bitter using English spelling versus amaro. So that is just this chicken and egg thing. We can go around and around trying to define it of what makes it that. Um, but but I, I th- you know, so I guess technically amaro means after dinner, uh, you know, con- uh, a liqueur, bittersweet herbal liqueur consumed after dinner, the act of when you drink it. Um, but there are a lot of loopholes and asterisks and, and things like that to consider. So technically, I would say Campari is an aperitivo bitter, but I would still have it in the conversation when talking about Amaro. Interesting. Does that work? That works, <laughs> yeah. And even though we, it took us a while to get there, that's yeah. still much more concise than when people ask me what an Amaro is. And yeah. I, I usually say it's a bitter herbal after-dinner drink that's based on a proprietary blend of different herbs, barks, spices, flowers, fruit peels. And then your guests are running out the and door. And they're just like <laughs> glazing over. And I think the key is bittersweet. You have to say, you have to yeah. add, mention that sweetness. Not all are. There are some, there's relatively few painfully bitter amari. You know, mm-hmm. most are bittersweet. Um, that balance. Uh, some lean different ways on the spectrum for more earthy or vegetal or, or piney. But, um, but yeah, I, I pretty much say, you know, Italian bittersweet herbal liqueur, uh, tech, you know, used as a digestivo so at the end of the What are the major categories of Amaro? Um, you mentioned some of them, uh, like Rebarbaro, Fernet, uh, and I, and I've read about some categories, but in practice, I feel like I don't, you don't see, I don't know. No. What, what are some of the categories that, that are the most most prominent? In well, the, the, one, the way I adopt it when I talk about it and help frame it for people, mm-hmm. I do a lot of uh, talks in classes and training for restaurant staffs or bars or to, for the public where we'll do anywhere from an 8 to 12 Amari tasting. And we could do one of like all light Amaro or all medium, all aperitivo. Uh, but essentially, I don't break it out a lot by alcohol content, but by style, more of like what the producer intended or what I imagine they intended. So I start with taking the aperitivos off the table, like Campari. Um, I start with light. So that's generally um, something that's not, it, it's it's a it's dipping your toes in the water of it. Amaro Montenegro is a great example, and Amaro Maletti. Mm-hmm. Both are, are very approachable. Uh, not too bitter, not too sweet. They lean more on the sweet side, um, and then and then uh, even Mar- Amaro Nonino I put in there, and then I would move to medium, which is 
Uh, your classic Gateway Amaro is like Averna, which has a nice um, orangey cola taste to it. Uh, uh, Ramazzotti, which has uh, like a root beer, almost herbal root beer style. Amaro Lucano, well-balanced herbal with some licorice notes. Um, these kind of Goldilocks Amaro, they're not too bitter, not too sweet. And these are also ones that work really great in cocktails, but also mm-hmm. can sub out for each other. So you can have an Amaro Sour made with Lucano or Averna. You'll get slightly different notes from each, but they both serve the purpose without taking it to a whole different place. Uh, Black Manhattan is traditionally made with Averna, but you can sub in Lucano. Then I would then I would kind of uh, bridge it over to, you mentioned Rebarbaro, which is traditionally, it means an Amaro made with ch- Chinese rhubarb root, so which is incredibly smoky, um, naturally smoky. Um, but that ingredient is used in others, like Lucano uses it as well. But the Zuka for years was the only Amaro around available in the States that was that style. Uh, until recently, um, Capaletti started importing a couple of years ago this great uh, Amaro Rababaro Sfumato, which uh, uh, it's just highly smoky. It tastes like you're having a campfire. It's very Mezcal-like. Um, so I love that we're seeing more examples of that style. And then um, Garciofo, which is uh, made with artichoke. So um, Chinar for years. It was, I mean, Chinar is the artichoke's on the bottle. Um, it's the only publicly listed ingredient for Chinar, but it really doesn't taste like artichoke. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a vegetal quality, earthy quality. And Don Chichuifili introduced uh, his C3 version, um, which is his take on that style. And there's one in California from Falcon Spirits. Uh, that is out now too. So we're seeing some of the domestic styles, and then and then you have Alpine, which is Braulio for years was the leading example of that style. That classic apre ski, um, northern Italy mountain style, where it's piney, it's woodsy, forest floor, bracing, uh, and then and then um, Fernet, which uh, you know everyone knows Fernet Branca from the Branca family, but Branca is a surname. Fernet is the category. And that is traditionally higher in alcohol, um, black licorice in color. But then it usually they usually share, again, no rules, but normally there's about half a dozen common ingredients like saffron, uh, aloferox, um, myrrh, a few others that you would find in a Fernet style. Then there's some what I call outliers or wild cards, like the Varnelli's family um, makes two of my favorites, the Sibila and the Deliberista. And those are... Uh, you know, of a specific region, they still use some local ingredients there, most notably their local raw honey, which they use as a sweetener in it. Those are hard to classify, and that's what I love about them, that they're so, each bottle is so unique, even within the category. So, like, I've, I did, last summer I did an all Fernet tasting. I think we did 13 bottles, or 13 different Fernets, and no, and everyone was getting so, they're like, well, why is this a Fernet? Why is this a Fernet? You know, and I would say, because it has these common ingredients, this, but most importantly, they're calling it a fernet. So, mm-hmm. like, there's some amaro that tastes fernet-like that aren't a fernet. Um, so, all that being said, those are those are not firm it's rules. Like it's art if someone says it's art. Exactly, it's, it's fernet <laughs> yeah. if they claim it's fernet. So, those are sort yeah. of the rough styles, and that that's that's sense. the progression I mm-hmm. would lead people through. And but, like I say, I've done tastings where we taste uh, a lot of medium styles all together, like. Those Maletti's and Montenegro's and Noninos, um, but I always like to to represent um, 
the different styles when doing a tasting. It gives people the spectrum of it, and it helps people determine what they might like or where their palate now, I know that Amaro producers are notoriously secretive um, about their ingredients. I think chefs used to be the same way, but they've sort of warmed, and there's all sorts of sharing <laughs> now. And everyone is the quickest to share. Like, we're using this mm-hmm. really special, amazing ingredient. Look at look at this. Have you started to see that with Amaro producers as well, that people are being a little bit more open with what they're, what they're using? Yeah, well, I, well, I think, um, you know, one thing I didn't say at the very beginning was, you know, in Italy... These grew from regional, the regionally driven expressions of of the ingredients they had on hand. They were made by monks and friars and and the religious sect using their locally grown herbs and botanicals and produce. Um, the spice trade blew that up and made all sorts of ingredients available all around the world. And so that's why you have a northern style. So that being so, so but the reality is they're getting ingredients from all around the world now. In you know big bags with secret codes on them and numbers. I've seen them come into the factories and on the loading docks. Um, you know, there aren't maidens up in the mountains picking things necessarily. Uh, there Except are some... <laughs> Varnelli, though, right? Well, Varnelli, yeah. There, like, that, that being said, there are some, like like Maletti is using local saffron. Cool. Um, Varnelli is using uh, local botanicals from the mountainside. Braulio is still sourcing some mountainside herbs. Um, but the reality is they... they they can get better deals getting it from other places. Like Fernet Branca, there I don't think there's any ingredients from what there might be one from Italy. All the rest are from around the world. Um, so so that's a big thing to consider now when you have so there are styles like southern, especially Averna uh, and Del Capo. Those are Sicilian Amaro. They're bright, a lot of heavy with citrus because of the great citrus down there. There's sort of coastal styles where, but it, but it's really about like when I was met Matteo Maletti, who's the I think fourth or fifth generation now of the Maletti family, he he gets romantic talking about it in terms of it's it brings you to the sense of the place where you drank it. So like I know like drinking certain ones at certain places in Italy will always call that back. And that can often be a little romantic and you're you're blurring it versus that's a northern style or that's from here or there. But there are still some regionally driven ones. So that being said, to go back to your original question, um many producers are still very secretive. They'll list, you know, three ingredients plus many more, or they'll say up to 30 ingredients, including boom, boom, boom. Um, like I said, Chinar will only tell you there's, there's artichoke. Averna only says lemon, orange, pomegranate. Um, Braulio has four ingredients they'll talk about and that's it publicly. So that can get very frustrating and that, that can hinder further education on the topic or whether educating your guests or your bartenders about it. But I found, you know, more and more with, um, some brands are the younger generation are pulling the family more into the modern age through social media and websites and like on the Amaro Lucano website, they have every ingredient listed and even Montenegro is being a lot more uh, transparent about it. They're sending bartenders mm-hmm. like a box with all their botanicals to kind of here's, this is all the real ingredients that go in here. Um, so I, I, but they, they, they're, I think people are confident enough to know no one could ever duplicate the formula yeah, of Yeah, you need Franca. to really know all of the proportions exactly. and the lengths of maceration. But it's interesting you bring up the uh, the current generation, too, in Italy, because Amaro is sort of like what I've always known is like an older person's exactly. drink in, in Italy. And even I was at uh, Amore Amargo with Chiara Pepe, who's the granddaughter of uh, Emidio Pepe, a great winemaker in Abruzzo. Okay. And they're in a town called Toronto Nuovo, which is a 20-minute drive from Ascoli Piceno, which is Mm -hmm. where Maletti is made. You're just talking about Maletti. And we were there, and she's like, Maletti Amaro? 
She's like, I've never even seen that. I didn't know for Anaset. Because yeah. they're known for Anaset. She's like, I had no idea they even made Amara. Yeah. I live 20 minutes away from from where they do it. Yeah. And um, and that that shows that you know the younger generation doesn't even have an awareness of of Amara. No, there. and, are and you no Ninos that, with Grappa. Like they're a Grappa house. Are you that, seeing that's changing even in Italy? That, well, I found like when I met, I met, you know, uh, uh, Silvio Maletti, Matteo's father. And I met Benito Nonino, the father, and, and uh, when I was out there of that family, and they don't talk about what they do. It's just they. It's a job. They do it. They kind of shrug their shoulders. They they were curious why I was there, but the it was the sons and daughters, who in their thirties and forties and twenties in some cases, who were really excited I was there and, and wanting to show things off, yeah. um, and, and really proud of it. And they're building out. Um, like when I visit Maletti, for instance, one side note, a really fascinating story was, you know, pre-email, you know, they they had the two traveling family members would go to different cities and leave letters for each other in like the hotels. And so it was a way to see their, their correspondence of, of like the herbs they bought in which city, but it was just this way of kind of like leaving these virtual, uh, literal messages for each other. But they have all those letters now. They're building out little... Um, visitor centers uh, because there isn't like in Italy there's the robust wine tourism but there isn't that for Amaro mm-hmm. you know these are I get asked I've, I've helped a few bartenders visit some places by calling in favors or introductions but you really can't just hit hit the road and go visit 10 different Amaro producers right. um, and I, I'd like to remedy that <laughs> like partner with Katie Parler or something and go get a van and drive around Italy but but I think um they're, they're, they're a genuine surprise. I would and, love to drive around Italy with Katie Parla. Oh, you, can you she, count me in on that? Absolutely. Like, we'll eat well. She was Ro- Rome was our last stop on like a 12-day excursion. And by the time we got there, we were like, no more tomorrow. We just want pizza and beer and gelato. And then she was our fixer in Rome. That's when I first met her. And we had a, a great uh, day, day together with her. But yeah, so, so I think I, I found that... You know, they're more savvy on social media. Living here in New York, I get to see a lot of these. Like, they're in New York often, like several times a year. Uh, The Noninos travel the country, go to different cities, meet with bartenders and restaurant staffs. So they're out there making themselves accessible, and they're very curious why their products are selling (laughs) faster now in America. And I think they understand now why, and they're embracing that, and they're dragging their parents along with them, whether they want to or not. But um, I think the more not media savvy, but just being savvy from a marketing perspective, um, whether it's doing a bartender contest or, or coming to, you know, grand tastings of their distributor in New York and visiting the bars. Like I have been a, a a guide for many visiting Italians in New York, you know, bringing them around to like the East village tour or the Brooklyn tour and to show them the kind of places I like. And it's very funny that they always go to like the very big international like employees only employees only. I'm like, there's other bars. You know, let's let's go to you know Long Island Bar or, or Grand Army or something um, to try to show them like my neighborhood. So when I can get them out to Brooklyn, I feel like I've accomplished something because they, they pretty much stay in Manhattan. But but it's been fun to. Um, it's good work you're doing. Yeah, to come to Brooklyn. No, I try. Yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, a lot of these guys have uh, been I, I wouldn't say like family to me, but I definitely the Malettis and the Venas of Lucano and the Noninos especially people whose names on the bottles just. I can't stress how much they opened their doors to me and have remained like like I said, they were very skeptical of curious why I was there. I had the I had bidders to prove I could write <laughs> that I did write a book. But once it came out, now to have their uh embracing it and and respecting me or as an unofficial ambassador for the category means the, so much to me. That's great. So we're in the middle of the uh the winter uh 
shitstorm bomb 2010, yes. <laughs> 2018, whatever. It's so cold. My brain's frozen right now. Yeah. I just put on the list at Fausto. I want to ask you about this. Yeah. An Amaro Caldo, a hot Amaro. Um, I, I never seen it anywhere except for uh, I was on a... Uh, uh, good friends with a guy named Michael Wilson, who used to be the editor in chief of La Cucina Italiana oh, magazine. Yeah. I and met him at Fausto. <laughs> you met him at Fausto. Yeah, yeah. he's a like a brilliant guy who knows more about Italian food and uh, beverage than than almost anyone I know. And he's just an incredible encyclopedia of that stuff. And we went with Mark Ladner, and he was writing a story about uh, the uh, wild boar hunt, and okay. we were following these wild boar hunters around all day. Uh, they wouldn't let me touch a gun, which is probably for the better. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's it cold and muddy and gross. And uh, at the end of the day, we went into this cafe in Panzano, and the old hunters were getting these, like, hot Amaro, essentially Amaro with, like, hot water out of the espresso machine and a, a oh, citrus I peel. Because I saw you, you posted a, a little video of you making it. Yes. And, and then... And then I, it like yeah, it doesn't come up from Google or anything. Like it's it's so because it, it, I was like yeah, I, I knew what it find, was. I was going to ask you because I couldn't find any other no. other than that one experience no, I, I had. In Italy. I knew yeah. what it meant, you know, hot tomorrow. Or, yeah. But but uh, but so is this? Could you could you just put hot water in it, or that, is it? It's there, just it's, so hot it's just water. But you use it from this, but having the espresso maker, it makes it's it easy. easy. But yeah. you could just put a little. And is it equal parts, or are you just topping it equal off? Equal parts, yeah. No, I, I mean I've had hot tomorrow drinks, you know, with but never. Just that fifty-fifty, so to speak, of this water in Amaro. Um, I know some are, you know, like there are uh, some, like that's the thing too. We talk about service style Amaro. There is no, <laughs> there is no uh, unifying factor. You can have it chilled, neat, with lemon peel, without lemon peel, and warm comes up. Some of the older generation I met liked it warm, especially in the winter. Mm-hmm. But, but um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted, definitely I want to have one of those. I could use one of those right now. Yeah, actually. we've been yeah. using Amaro Novace from Francoli, okay. but it works with different, you know, it works with different ones. I haven't tried all of our Amaro yet to see if there's like a style yeah, that's better, but I think that like Alpine or medium style was, is the better. I was going to say like, like I like spiking hot chocolate with Braulio or an oh, Alpine yeah. style. So I think an Alpine style or a little heavier one would lend itself with the hot water, but but um or but yeah, I, I think I think you could have fun playing around. I with even that. had a Braulio milkshake when I was in Valtellina. Oh wow, which was really good and weird. <laughs> Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost-be-damn, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bonapetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. Um, speaking of Braulio, I actually have a couple of old vintage Amari yeah. for us to taste. One of them being Braulio, but I kind of think we should try the Chinar first. Let's do it. Um, which, from my understanding, yeah, why don't you pour for us, uh, the Chinar originally was marketed as a digestivo, and then uh, they had a hard time 
really taking it didn't really take off. There were a couple of other uh, artichoke or uh, carchofi uh, digestivi at that time, and they they had, since they changed it to be more of an aperitivo. Is that is that your understanding of this? Or? I think well, I think a big thing with chinar and and ramazzotti too really blew up so is uh, to say so to speak with advertising and with cafe culture like like making it a part of of the to making it so turning it into an aperitivo having something you'd have with dinner or before dinner um but i'd like like i said before it's low it, it's pretty it's one of the more versatile amari in terms of I like Chin- I love Chinar and soda. Mm-hmm. I love a black Manhattan. Like it, it can stand up to being just barely on its own and with some bubbles to to playing a keynote in cocktails. Yeah, so th- like so this you think soda. is from the sixties? This is from the sixties. And to me, Chinar and soda with a squeeze of lemon. Like some, it's the one amar I want. That's oh lemon, nice. With a, so instead of a lemon juice. peel, you like a little juice. In I there. like a little juice in it because it's a, like little, it's a little sweeter. And I drink Lucano and tonic with a lime wedge a lot Lucano in the summer. Oh, it's good. Great. Yeah. Right, I was surprised as to how good this, how well this aged, and how good this tastes. Um, oh yeah, it's the, like, well, it's, it smells. I mean, a lot of times with vintage Amari, um, you know, like a lot, like bourbon and some other spirits are quote unquote lightning in the bottle, where nothing's going to change once you cap it. Uh, a lot can happen with Amaro because of the sugar, because of the botanicals and the herbs, and. So many factors, storage, sunlight, loose cap, seals. So I've had a lot of, uh, taste a lot of vintage Amari. And some have been big misses and some are so amazing. But I find a lot of times they get this kind of port-like quality mm-hmm. where the, the sugars really condense. Um, I've tasted some Zucca that just tastes and smells like an old library, like these great kind of paper oldness to this. This has a nice sweet, like the, on the nose, it's really sweet. Um, and it's it gets kind of a little caramely. Mm-hmm. It's complex. It's like really, <laughs> it's a lot going on for uh, Amari. Yeah. To me, it's amazing. I can see why it, it barely has a drop left <laughs> in the yeah, bottom. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty pretty popular. No, really nice. It's amazing that they even exist. Like who? No, no one intentionally, I don't think, took a bottle of Chinar in the 60s and said, one day I'm going to open this up and no. it'll be really amazing. <laughs> well, I saw John, John Bonet at uh, uh, Brooklyn lives in your hood wine writer um mentioned recently about vintage amari and he's just like i hope people are putting away nardini and braulio now for for the future um yeah i think with vintage amari you know a big thing i didn't write a lot about in the book because it can get a little dark but the um world war ii had such a big effect on italy obviously mm-hmm. and a lot of producers their factories were taken over for the war effort whether it was munitions or whether it was other things um some factories were destroyed from bombings uh the bronca distillery showed me like a wall the show's like still like it was bombed twice and uh and a big thing too a lot of which alex was telling me a lot of producers didn't renew their licenses after world war ii so a lot of things went out or disappeared so pre-World War II vintage Amaro is really tough to, to mm-hmm. find. So you have a lot from the 60s and onward. Um, and then t- I talked to Fulvio Piccinino, who he lives in Torino, um, a vermouth expert, a Amaro expert. And he was one of our first people we visited. Uh, and he took us to this old distillery way out in the countryside. So he started with like countryside Amaro making to big city Amaro making. And he was talking about how post-World War II... Um, Italy, 
Italians could go out and enjoy themselves again and eat again. And that was a big reason tomorrow spiked that they were eating meat again. They were eating, you know, richer foods and celebrating. And so, so that kind of spike with uh, post-World War II is interesting time for, for Amaro. But, but yeah, I think, and I think like a lot of people finding these things, like Alex and others, you know, it's, it's going to be just like with, uh, you used to be able to go to the Goodwill and find these great vintage coupe glasses. And once bartenders start buying them all, and then, that, yeah. then the cocktail enthusiast, you can't find rare cocktail books just randomly anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are getting these through estate sales, through uh, just a lot of it was coming from Italy, of course, but um, I've, I've been always visit if you're home for holidays, check out your parents' liquor cabinets mm-hmm. or your grandparents to find things. But um, yeah, some of the, the pros are finding them in, in great ways and bringing in like a whole lot of certain Chinars or certain Braulios. Um Speaking of Braulio, we have a oh yeah a Braulio that is a vintage Braulio, but we don't know the date know. on it. I think seventies or eighties is my guess. And yeah, I wish is, I wish I knew. But Alex is a pro; takes a lot of years of practice of knowing. There's so because there's different tax stamps, there's label types that uh, obviously label changes, the caps when barcodes came onto, and mm-hmm. there's so many context clues that you can really go down that rabbit hole. Let me try. I think this is delicious. Yeah, this is. It's it, got this like murky syrupiness, but then, yeah, you don't get that. You don't get that wash of brightness that you do with current. Mm-hmm. At least that's a Braulio. What, what do you like about? The chinar is more complex. Like the chinar is a. Yeah, this this is, feels just very concentrated. Like yeah. it's like a, almost like a cold brew concentrate where you would then, add some water to it to make it sing. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, nothing wrong with it. It's very balanced. It feels kind of sweet at first, and then it definitely finishes very dry. Yeah. That's nice. It's got a little little smokiness. So after that heyday, was there a, a bunch of closures? Again, because when I'm, I'm see- seeking out Amari, and I've, I've tried to find a lot of them being producers that, that I know and I can have a reference. And one of the nice things I do is, that, you know, it, it's fun to taste the vintage one versus the original one. But I'm also finding ones from the 60s and 70s of producers that either they don't exist anymore or they're not imported and I don't know anything about yeah, them. Yeah, well, there's, there's so many brands just available in Italy still that aren't in the States and may never come to the States. Um, when I was in Torino, I, I this, this distillery I visited... Uh, Antica Qualia outside of Torino, they make things like, they do some runs of like 300 bottles a year. That's it. You know, So these are just going to the local restaurants, the local townspeople. Um, and I brought some bottles back with me. And But they have, they may have, Fulvio is telling me some of these have ingredients that wouldn't make it in the States, you know, make it through, so to speak, without changing the formula because they have to make parts of their formula known. Um there are still some regionally driven Amari that aren't here. Like uh, I think it's Padro de Pepe is the Amaro of Puglia or something. And, mm-hmm. and um, I saw that like at the Bari airport and just scooped up a bottle. So, um, but yeah, the yields, like there was, I went, Katie brought me to this one Roman, uh, you know, take a liquor store, just walls of Amaro. And I was just imagining every other bartender going nuts there with all the stuff. And people were looking at me like, why are you staring at all this Amari? Cause it was the usual suspects. But then it was going a little deeper. And I found, too, like in the States, in my travels, when you visit distilleries, 
they often have something only sold there. So I've seen that more. Like uh, Lucano, I got to visit their uh, their they're mm-hmm. in Pasticci Scala, but they or Pasticci, but they have a Bottega company store in Matera, which is a very popular uh, city that people visit. So they put it there because more people go there, but they sell uh, Lucano Menta there, which is only there. And they sell a grappa based Amaro, which is only there. Um, and you see like Menta versions of Ramazzotti and some other ones which that you can see, only yeah. get there. So, so yeah, there's so much there. Like that's what I find too. When people say, what should I get? What should I get? I usually send people to Braulio Reserva, which uh, I yes, brought you a bottle. I was add, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Reserva. So that is essentially uh, it's a it's a annual release that's that's has the year on it that they make in a limited quantity. Um, it's higher, slightly higher proof. They it's less filtered, so the herbs are more pronounced. But the biggest thing too, it's 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 aged in smaller barrels, so it's a little more intense. Um, that's relatively easy to find at liquor stores. Um, it's not in rare. Italy, though. In Italy, here, here in, no. no, in Italy only. Yeah. So that's my like what I call suitcase bottle. Like if I tell, so I brought back three, I think last time, and and I gave you one wow. as a as a welcome or uh, uh, congratulations on Fausto. Um, but I had a lot of people yeah. say, I will buy that. I will buy that. And then um, any like menta variations, just of the mint. Like for Branca menta is the only really well known one or available one, and that's essentially. Uh, lower ABV with peppermint oil and a little sweeter. And that came about uh, um, Maria Callas, uh, opera singer, doctored her Fernet Branca with mint and mm-hmm. sugar. And and the founder or the, at the time, or the whoever's running the company then was shocked that she did that. But then they, as a tribute to her, her they, they, they made that. Um, but there are some menta variations, which sound like, oh, they're going to taste like toothpaste, but they're, they're kind of fun. So I like to find... I often will bring back things that just have a fun label, like, oh, it's got a deer on it, and mm-hmm. I have no idea, and you can't find out anything about it. But my last trip, my, my record, I think I brought back 13 bottles <laughs> across, wow. across two bags, two checked bags, and I always claimed them, but, but I was in Italy last in October, and I only brought back four or five bottles because I didn't have the time to really, I was there for work, but my la- I was with uh, the gentleman who runs Campari Academy, the, the head bartender there, does all the trains all the bartenders. We had lunch, and there was a little liquor store next door, spirit shop, and and so I brought back a really cool uh, arugula base tomorrow, mm-hmm. which was really tasty and uh, very dry, dry tomorrow from Asagio, Asagio region. Is uh, is Campari now that they own Braulio? Are they going to bring in the Reserva? I, I've I've tried to tell them they don't listen to me, but no, <laughs> maybe I, they I listen think, to you that they should import I the think Reserva. Yeah. I was I was on a trip there with thirty three bartenders from around the world, and I think every one of them bought bottles of Reserva yeah, at the so store. Good. So no, it's it's I think it makes it special that you can only get it there. That's cool. And it's kind of nice, but but yeah, I think I think I think we'll see. We're seeing newer imports of. I mean, I'm not wild. How do you feel about Chinar 70? So they they came out with Chinar. They doubled the proof to kind of appeal to bartenders and 50-50 shots and high spirit cocktails. But I truthfully don't drink it unless it's I don't a, drink, yeah. I don't, yeah, unless it's a shot or in a cocktail. But maybe I'd put other things that I prefer. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and and Zuka changed the formula. They 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 went higher in ABV. I think when they're messing around with the things that make them like there's still we can still get regular Chinar, which I love. It's not like suddenly it's new Coke and you have to deal with it like the Zuka mm-hmm. is. Um, but I think coming up with newer expressions, I think we're going to see more maybe barrel aged Amario, you know, things that the taking advantage of that. Um, you know, I've seen a few things in my travels that 
have tipped me off to that, but that that might be a way they're going. Um, but yeah, to suddenly and and Lucano's an example too. They did an anniversario edition a couple of years ago, I think for their 120th anniversary, and it's higher proof. Uh, it's very similar to Reserva in terms of higher proof, more herbal, more concentrated, and it's a, and both are available, and that's available in the states too. Um, so I like seeing that out there too. So it could be an option. I think it's still in the spirit of the family. It's not wildly different, um, and, but it's a different way to enjoy it. All right, Brad, we're going to finish up. Just I'd love to hear your your thoughts, and then let's go eat a pizza at Roberto's yeah. uh, real quick on uh, this Bonomelli Amaro, an Alpine style from the 60s from Alex. Do you know this producer? I don't know. This is... I'm is not, it not Bonomelli? It's Bonomelli. Is it? I'm not getting a... Yeah, Bonomelli. The the common denominator for these three is the concentrated sweetness, mm-hmm. um, not in a saccharine way, but just this rich porty kind of thing. I don't with alpine you often will get forest floor pine, um, a little more bitterness hitting you. I'm not getting a ton of that. Oh, I love the little de- devil's mask mm-hmm. on, the, on the label there. Um, really delicious, really though. nice. But it's, it's a kind of more cherry. Kind yeah, of it's character. like cherry caramel. I'm getting a lot oh, of yeah. sweetness in a good way. All right, Brad Thomas. We're not going to go another hour? We're not going to go another hour. This is fun, Joe. Well, this is so (laughs) much fun. Um, Your book, Amaro, is awesome. I can't wait to check out Distillery Cats. I'm sorry we didn't talk more about about it. Don't worry about it. it. (laughs) But there have been plenty of books on winery dogs. It's about time that there's Distillery Cats get there, dude. Maybe maybe a brewery iguanas next or something like that. (laughs) Well, they're dropping from trees in Florida. I saw they're freezing. That's why I don't write books. No, I've admired you since I've known about you. I know we met a few years ago officially, and um, but... I love everything you're doing to to keep the spirit of the food and the wine, the category alive with Amaro. And so you can count on me and being a regular at Fausto. Thank you. That feeling is mutual. Oh, thanks, man. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this special edition of In the Drink. Um, We'll see you back in a couple of months, let's say, um, uh, once things settle down at Fausto. But please come visit me at Fausto. And if you don't have Amaro bitters or distillery cats, go out and buy them. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.